The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census for the whole world to be taken. The census, the first, took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph set out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee and traveled up to Judea, to the town of David called Bethlehem, since he was of David's house and line, in order to be registered, together with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And she gave birth. While they were there, the time came, and she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. In the countryside close by, there were shepherds who lived in the fields and took it in turns to watch their flocks during the night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. They were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. Listen, I bring you news of great joy, a joy to be shared by the whole people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And here is a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, there was a great throng of the heavenly host, praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace to men who enjoy his favour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Something about Christianity has really all the power within it. It's the powerful, powerful irony in our faith. Because we put things that shouldn't mix together right smack bang with each other. We marry them. And, it, and it's ironic. So today is really an ironic celebration. It's a birthday. Does anyone else in the room have a birthday? I mean, it's like the most common thing you could imagine, isn't it? Everyone has a birthday. Uh, and everyone celebrates it. Um, and maybe some of our birthdays are more momentous than others. We have milestone birthdays. We can remember them more than, more than the rest that just kind of blipped by. But a birthday couldn't be more commonplace. So what's so special about this birthday? You know, in the church's mind, in the church's calendar, Typically, saints, we don't celebrate their birthdays. If you look at the saints' feast days, it's when they died. It's when they were born to a new vista of life. But there are three birthdays in the church's calendar. One is today, Jesus, and the other is Mary, and the last is John the Baptist. You might think, what about Joseph? No, I don't think we even know when his birthday is. They don't even try and put a date there or any of the apostles, or anyone else for that matter. But it's these three. Why? Who is Mary in and of herself? I mean, yeah, she's the Blessed Virgin Mother of God, sinless, bore salvation to the world. But apart from Jesus, who is she? In a sense, in the economy of, of the gospel, it doesn't really matter. She may as well be Augustus Caesar. Who is John the Baptist in and of himself, without any mission, without any gospel to proclaim. 
Well, in the economy of this story, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But the church holds both of their birthdays in high importance simply and only because of their proximity to the nativity of Christ. Therefore, there must be something very, very special about this otherwise extremely mundane uh, historical event we're trying to mark. What is it? It's who he is. Listen to this. It comes from a sermon from Pope Leo. I think it's Pope Leo. Pope Leo the Great. This is the day our Saviour was born. What a joy for us, my beloved. This is no season for sadness. This, the birthday of life. The life which annihilates the fear of death and engenders joy, promising as it does immortality. This isn't just another birthday. It's the birthday. It's the birth of everything. It's the birth of you. It's the birth of creation. It's the birth of light and joy and peace and grace. The Pope continues, nobody is an outsider to this happiness. As we heard in that second reading, Christ has come for everyone, every single person. Those who've never heard of him, those who've categorically rejected him, everyone. The same cause for joy is common to all, for as our Lord found nobody free from guilt when he came to bring an end to death and to sin, so he came with redemption for all. Listen to this. Let the saint rejoice, for he hastens to his crown. Let the sinner be filled with joy, for pardon is offered him. Let the Gentile, in other words, let the person completely unacquainted with scripture and tradition, let that person also be emboldened, for he is called to life. And when this old text says he, it's referring not to men, but to everyone, every single person, everywhere. It's the birthday of all birthdays. This is what we celebrate today. Why do we give it such importance? You know, if, if this is the case, it must be the fact of who and, and even what Jesus is. Who is he? What is he? And who knows it? Um, most of you, I think, know that I've just been in the Holy Land for a pilgrimage with the bishop and a, a bunch of parishioners from around the place. And we spent about 18 days there. We started in Amman in Jordan, uh, in Palestine. Then we made our way into Nazareth. And we saw everything that you'd want to see. We saw the house where Mary would have been visited by this angel. We, we touched, in fact, the very spot where this is, is believed to have occurred, where, where tradition has safeguarded, where all of this unraveled. Uh, just up the hill was one of Joseph's carpentry shops, or tecton shops, which is also now a church. Beautiful church. Um, we went to Capernaum or Capernaum, where Jesus performed so many of his miracles. We read about them. I visited um, Peter, Peter's house where Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Do you remember that episode? She's sick with fever and Jesus heals her and immediately she gets up and starts serving the, the whole household, just like every mother in this place. Very servant-hearted and diligent. I can see a bit of smiles around the room. Um, we went to Jerusalem. And we walked the very steps that Jesus walked as he carried that awkward, awkward instrument to his place of complete self-offering. 
And in fact, we touched the very place where the crucifixion, again, is, is believed to have happened. And this is an old tradition. It's not like they just rolled the dice and said, yeah, put it there. No, no, the Christian faithful have gathered here for millennia. Finally, we went down to Bethlehem, just shy of Christmas. We went there. We went into the Church of the Nativity. I picked up this beautiful icon in, in Bethlehem Square where, where uh, there, there was a line of Christian shops. I have to say, the whole experience was bittersweet. It was powerfully vivifying for my own faith because everything's so tactile. The, the sheer reality of it is just... It, it just shakes you to the core. This is our story. But, but what's bittersweet about it is the kind of way that it's dangling by a thread. You know, the population of the Christian community in Bethlehem is about 1%. The population, I think, of the Christian community in Jerusalem is about 2%. Right where this story has taken place. Many of the shops that I went to, many of the Christian shops that I went to, were run by... Muslim, uh, Muslim shopkeepers, which is, which is fine, in a sense. But they can't tell the story. Because even though Muslims believe in Jesus, Issa, he, he appears in, in the Quran, it's a very different depiction of who Jesus is. We believe that Jesus is God. A very ironic belief, because how can God be born? Does God have a father? Does God have a mother? It's a, kind of, it's a kind of logical um, impossibility. So the Muslim says, no, he's a prophet. A wonderful prophet. A very, very ethical man. Cared for his mother, cared for the poor. We can affirm all that. But we certainly believe more than that, don't we? Otherwise, why put so much pomp around his birthday if he's just another guy? It makes me think that probably before too long, there will be very, very few who have the ability to speak from their own personal faith in the very Holy Land itself. Who is this person? Who is he? What is he? I'm going to leave this icon for your viewing, um, so please have a look at it before you leave the church. Icons are not necessarily a, a, a huge part of our Roman Catholic piety. But for our Christian brothers and sisters, for example, in the Orthodox Church, in the, in the Eastern Churches, icons are a, a wonderful way of entering into the, into the depth and the richness of, of our faith. When you see an icon, we say that an icon is written as opposed to painted. Because even though it's obviously painted, you don't just look at it like a painting. You read it. You read all the tiny symbols that are at work. In fact, if this is done the way it should be, every single stroke is accompanied by a prayer. Every single stroke is, is piously, devotionally put on the wood. This is olive wood from the Holy Land. Um, the gold sort of shimmers at you as, you as you move it in the light. There's so many symbols at work in here, so I'll leave it for your viewing. But this is our story. And if anyone knows it, and if anyone can tell it, hasn't it got to be us? and the Christians who have gathered and clung to Jesus with such ferocity since, since the beginning. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes, and I'm gonna ask you to keep them closed. 
um, as we stand in a moment because we always profess our creed. And sometimes these things that we do all the time, we, we, we become numb to them. We forget really what we're saying. It just comes out like, like autopilot. But we're declaring something now which is powerfully ironic and powerfully scandalous. If it wasn't scandalous, no one would have a problem with you saying it. But you'll notice when we speak about the gospel, frankly, we don't really get the best reaction from people. Um, they tell us, no, keep that to yourself. You can have your religion. We're about to declare something that's so strange. And it's, it's tempting for the human mind to wiggle it a little bit and change it. Think of the different stories you hear about Jesus in the public consciousness. Oh, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. He was a wonderful man, a good teacher. Or, yes, I believe Jesus was, was a good spiritual leader, but there were, there were many good spiritual leaders. Sure. Or, I believe Jesus is divine, yeah. But we're all a little bit divine. We've all got the divine spark in us. This is as true or false as any of those statements are, they're confusing the clarity that we have about this person who wants to be with you, who wants us to be together with and in him. Who else can you gather in? I mean, we can gather with a lot of people, but Jesus wants to gather you into his body so that he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. No one else can say this stuff. When you see me, you see the Father, for the Father and I am one. No one else can say these horrendous things which are so offensive if he's not who he says he is. So I'd invite you, keep your eyes shut. And when you're ready, as a personal declaration of your conviction, of your faith in whoever exactly it is whose birthday we're celebrating today, who's, who's coming into the world as a man, as a person, sharing all of our humanity, shielding and hiding nothing of his person from us, his divinity from us, so that the two would be wed. The prayers of the church say that in the birth of Christ, heaven and earth were bound together. If that's the Jesus you believe in, then when you're ready, I'd invite you to stand, and I'd invite you to remain standing as we profess the creed, as we pray our prayers of intercession, and then you can sit as we prepare to come to the table he invites us to.